close here to finishing up our study in the book of Joshua. And as you've heard me say many times over the last couple weeks, I'll try to make it quick here tonight. The first 12 chapters cover a time of about five to seven years of where they were actually out in military campaigns trying to conquer the land. From chapter 13 on to the end of Joshua, Joshua through 24, we're possibly talking 20 plus years here of them allotting the land, passing out the different land allotments and the people going and settling it. So from chapter 13 on, there's a lot of just different stories in here intermixed with that the tribe of Reuben got from this river to this hill and the tribe of Zebulon got from this place to this place. So we've been covering that, but we've also been been trying to hit these little nuggets that are in here as well. Well, we're going to do the entire chapter night of 22, because 22 is a great chapter on the tribes of Israel. And it's about how they almost went to war. And how sad is this? But the truth is, it's very relatable to us as the body of Christ. So we're going to do 22 tonight, which puts us really close to the end of Joshua, only a couple chapters left. Let's pray. And let's get started. Lord, give us ears to hear what you have to say tonight. To not only hear it, but to apply it, to listen, to go forth with it, and to really put it into practice, Lord. And just for you and your glory and your name. Amen. Dustin, if you don't mind putting that slide up there. This should be a little bit of a review to you guys. Uh, This goes all the way back to when we did our first couple studies in the book of Joshua. You can see right here. This is a map of the different land allotments of where the tribes were going to be going, what they were going to get. If you remember way, way long ago, we talked about these three tribes right here, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. They wanted to land here, and they wanted to have their land on the east side of the Jordan. This is the Jordan River right here. So they talked to Moses about it. Moses says, it's fine. Here's the only catch. you got to send your men out to war with us. And so your men go fight, but you can leave your children, you can leave your wives on this side right here. And then once we're done conquering the rest of the land, your men can go back home. So what happens in Joshua 22 is that's exactly what happens. Is the tribe of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben have finished conquering this other area. So they're allowed to go back home now. Now when we did this study a long time ago, we talked about how this is a problem right here. God had designed the Jordan River to be a natural barrier protection. If you look at this map right here, you can see the seas. All the way from here to here. It was a natural barrier. They decided to go on the other side. And as time goes on and you study out the Old Testament, it's those three tribes, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, that are going to get themselves in trouble. They're the first ones to be conquered. They're the ones that are constantly struggling. They're in a problem area because they chose not to be as close as they could to the temple and to the fellowship of the rest of the believers. And we've talked about that. we talked about how God has designed us to be the body of Christ. That is an ongoing battle. Because we want to fly solo. We want to be the island Christian. We get bothered. We get offended. We get angry. We get upset. And we want to separate from each other. And at the moment, it feels good and sounds good. The problem is you get on the wrong side of the river, you're asking for problems and trouble. Well, what happens is this tonight, is as they head back to their land, everything seems fine. And next thing you know, there's a miscommunication between these three tribes on the right and those nine tribes on the left. And their great idea is let's go to war to figure this out. Sad to say a few thousand years later, we still do the same thing in the body of Christ. There's a miscommunication and we decide to go to war with each other. You've heard me say this many times before. There's only so much time and so much energy in the day. If I spend my time and energy battling other believers, that doesn't leave any time left to really get in the word, pray, fast, and go out and spread the gospel. I want my energy to be focused on eternity, not battling the believers. 
Satan wants to cause the smallest issues to become huge cracks in the body of Christ. He wants to create division. God has ordained us and designed us to be a group, and Satan wants to split us. This has been going on for thousands of years. Jesus even prophesied. He said, in the end, offenses will come. And boy, that happens. The body of Christ, we get so worked up over little things. And next thing you know, all of our time and energy is focused on that. So that's a background to kind of remind you where we're at here. Joshua 22, verse 1. Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. You can see that up there on the map. Said to them, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. That comes back from Numbers 32. Moses said, you can have the land, just make sure you help us out first. You have not left your brethren these many days. Up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore return, go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. You fulfilled your task, head back home. But take care, careful heed, to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them, sent them away, and they went to their tents. Okay, that's what we talked about there in the introduction. Verse 5 is one of those verses. You could spend a whole night just talking about that verse. Look at that. That verse has everything you need. This is how you're supposed to live the life. Verse 5. Take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. To love the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. To keep his commandments. To hold fast to him. And to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. How simple is that? If you're a note taker, if you look, there's just five things you're supposed to do. First one. Take heed. Listen up. Obey. That's the first thing you're supposed to do. If you start out that way, by taking heed, listening, and obeying to God, your day is going to go so much better. Next thing you do, not only listen to it, look at the next word, walk in it. There's a lot of people that listen. They'll mark the verse, they'll underline the verse, but do they live the verse? We bribe our kids at home with scripture memorization. I'm sure you guys do the same thing too. If you memorize the verse, we'll give you this, etc. But one of the catches is, is this. If you memorize the verse, I don't want you just to repeat it to me. I want you to apply it. I want you to tell me what it really means to look like to go actually out and live it. You know, I grew up at the church I used to go to. That's where Richard and Betsy went as well. There was a CBC program, just like we have a CBC program here. So I did the CBC program 30 plus years ago. I memorized all the verses and I went for the awards. I went for the ribbons. At the moment, I didn't care about the Lord. I just wanted the rewards. But guess what? God's word doesn't return void. When I got saved then at 16, all those verses that I spent 10 years memorizing to earn pins and ribbons and patches, they're still there. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit then brings to your remembrance those verses. It works. So I want to ingrain scripture into my kids, but I also want them to do it. So we take heed, we obey, but the next one in verse 5 is you'll walk it out. We all know believers that can quote the verse. And if you look at their Bible, their Bible's marked up, underlined, etc. But are they walking it out and living it? And as they walk it out, look at the next one in verse 5. Hold fast. Why do you have to hold fast? Because you're going to get knocked around in this world. The enemy's going to try to knock you down. My own flesh tries to bring me down. My own emotions try to bring me down. So I need to hear it, take heed. I need to go out. Excuse me, I skipped the second one there. Love. Sorry, I was looking at my notes here. Take heed, verse 5, to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. To love the Lord, then to walk and to keep. 
We just need to backtrack a little bit here. Because for us to walk it, there has to be love. There has to be obedience with that. There has to be an idea that I love God's word in my life. I love what the Lord is doing in my life. And I want to obey him because I know he wants what's best for me. So it's take heed, obey, love, then walk it out, then hold fast. And look at the last one that you have there in verse 5. Then you can go serve him. So often I see people want to jump ahead. They want to serve. And I appreciate a servant's heart. I really do. But to really get out there and serve the Lord, there needs to also be an obedience, a love, a walk, and a hold fast to it. So I tell you, verse 5 is one of those verses. You go home, you mark it up, you underline it, you pray it, you memorize it, and then you apply it. And just really simply ask yourself, am I obeying? Am I loving? Am I walking it out? Am I holding fast to it? And am I serving? If you do those things, you'll be blessed. So they go home, verse 7, now to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Moses had given a possession in Bashan. And kind of goes through some of their stuff right there. And it says that's where they went to their tents. And they went with a lot of riches. Verse 8, remember they were on this battlefield and they were allowed to keep some of the stuff as the spoils of war for their pay, if you will. So verse 8, they were able to go back, return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. Go home, be blessed. Verse 9, so the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half a tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So they go back across the river, and they all lived happily ever after. But the problem is we don't. Because why? Verse 10. When they came to the region of the Jordan, which is on the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, built an altar there by the Jordan. A great, impressive altar. Now, the wording here in verse 10 is really interesting in the original Hebrew. This was quite the altar. This was an important altar. This was an imposing altar. This was big. So they crossed the Jordan. They go over there, and they build themselves this huge altar. Now... What are we going to do with this information? Verse 11. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children of Israel's side. So now they heard about this altar. Now this is where we have to decide how we're going to take this message tonight. And I'm just going to tell you how I'm going to take this message tonight. You've got two groups of people here. You've got Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben on one side. And you got the other tribes on the other. And this is the way I'm going to teach this lesson. And if you disagree, that's fine. We could talk about it afterwards. I'm going to teach that both sides were wrong. That's what I'm going to teach. I've heard other people teach, and they try to say, well, I think this side was right, this side was wrong. I think both sides did some stuff right, but ultimately both sides could have just done better. This happens a lot at home with the boys. They'll come in, and there's a fight, there's an argument, and they both tell me what's going on. And I stop and say, okay, you're both wrong. <laughs> you both could have acted better as a Christian. And sometimes I say, okay, listen, you're both right, but now you're also wrong in the way you handled it. You ever really thought that through? You can be right, but then be wrong on how you handle it. You can be right and then be wrong on how you present it. And what happens, we say, well, I'm right. Well, I know you're right, but you're not representing Jesus that way properly. So now you're wrong on, on the way you are in being right. So both of these sides had some right in them, but both of them were wrong when it came to the application. So verse 11, the tribes here on the left, they hear about this. Now, who told them about it? Verse 11, the children of Israel heard someone. 
Heard someone. That's what my new King James says. Not every translation has that. They just heard someone. Have you ever been that way? You just heard something. You didn't bother to study it out. You didn't bother to find out the facts. You just heard someone. Who said it? I don't know it's hearsay, but it sure sounds good to me. So they build an altar, verse 11. Someone said they build an altar. Well, what should we do? Verse 12, when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Their first response, let's fight. No one stopped and said, hey, could someone paddle across the Jordan and just ask them what's going on? No one stopped to say, hey, we just fought with years with these guys. These guys are our blood relatives. Can't we just find out? Nope, verse 12, let's go to war. Now, I think this has gotten worse and worse and worse as time goes on because I've been out here for about 20 years and I've seen how technology has changed stuff. You know, when I first started nearly 20 years ago, we didn't have the cell phones, we didn't have social media, we didn't have the texting, and we just started using email out here. It was a lot harder to fly off the handle. I can remember flying off the handle and wanting to call somebody and getting their answering machine and getting frustrated. And then by the time you called them back five, six times, you kind of calmed down. In today's society, you can call right away at the cell phone and usually get them. You can text that angry message right away. You can post something on Facebook. You can do it on Twitter. You can just do it whenever you want. And there's that immediate fleshly response. Now, I'm going to present it this way. And I'm just going to tell you, in James chapter 3, the mature believer controls their tongue. The mature believer thinks before they speak. The mature believer does what James 1 says, quick to listen. Slow to wrath, slow to speak. And I could give you proverb after proverb after proverb of watching what you say. Maturity is shown on how you handle your words. You just don't jump to war. Now, can you go with me to Proverbs, please? A couple of these verses we just did on Sunday, we're going to repeat them, and I'm going to add a couple more to it. Proverbs, please. Let's go to uh, Proverbs 18 first. Proverbs teaches again and again the sign of maturity as you watch what you say. Your tongue does not get you in trouble. James 3 goes one step further and says the tongue is the most dangerous organ in the body. The Bible says in James 3 that the tongue can start a fire that can take down a whole forest. You guys have done it. You have been on the receiving end of being chewed out and you know what it does to you. And you've also been on the other end of chewing someone out, and you know the power that it has. You know the destructive nature of the tongue. I don't need to keep repeating that maturity is you watch what you say, when you say it, how you say it, and even if to say it at all. Proverbs 18, we just did these verses Sunday. They should be familiar to you. Look at verse 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. This is what they're doing They're coming to a conclusion before they even got the conclusion. So they're stopping and saying, we don't know all the details, but hey, let's go to war. Hey, someone said that they built an altar. Hey, let's get our weapons. Let's go fight. Nothing checking into it. Nothing asking. They hear it and they just say, let's fight. Okay, Proverbs 18, same chapter, verse 17. The first one to plead his call seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Have you ever done that? Heard one side of the story? That's all I need to hear. Well, the Bible says you need to hear the other side. 
Bible says you shouldn't jump to conclusions because when you jump to conclusions, you're going to get yourself in trouble. And I just wonder what would happen is as believers, if we would actually just take these verses and apply it. I wouldn't answer a matter before I hear it. I would get all the facts. I wouldn't just listen to one side. I'd stop and say, hey, let me catch the other side here and let me pray over this before we come to any conclusions. But instead, we jump in ready for war. Two more real quick in Proverbs. Proverbs 26, please. Proverbs 26. This is the one I referenced on Sunday. I didn't take you to. Proverbs 26, verse 17. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ears. How often do we do that? We get involved with something that has absolutely nothing to do with us. But we're going to be there and we're going to protect our fill-in-the-blank, our coworker, our friend, whatever. Maybe we just need to step back for a second and say we should probably just pray about this. And how about one more? Same chapter, verse 20. Where there's no wood, the fire goes out. And where there's no tailbearer, strife ceases. Do you know how much effort it takes to be angry? I've been in those angry mood fantasy fleshes, and I've got to keep replaying it in my head to keep myself angry. Because it takes a lot of energy to be angry. And so what happens is I know people that do this, they get upset about something. And so they have to keep going and talking to new people. And as they talk to a new person, that new person says, oh my, you are right. You have every right to be upset about this. And it's like another wood on the fire. It's like, that's right. Now I can burn again for a while. You don't put wood on the fire. Guess what? The fire goes out. And I just want to tell you this, and we're going to just repeat this numerous times tonight. What would happen if before we would say anything, we would just pray first? I'm just seek the Lord. That's all I'm saying. Lord, how do you want me to respond to this as a Christian? Do I even need to say anything? And I want to make sure I respond biblically. We got a little phrase we use on the board out here at church. We called them prayed over opinions. I'm willing to listen to any prayed over opinion. What I'm not willing to listen to is just off the top of my head, we need to do this in all flesh. No, I know my flesh. I know your flesh. That's not going to go good. Can you imagine if when we got worked up, if we would just stop, get all the facts, get all the sides, pray over it, Let the Spirit lead and then go in as a Christian and then have a conversation. Instead, we have in Joshua 22, 12, let's just go to war. We still do the same thing now. So what happens? Verse 13, then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest of the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad and to half the tribe of Manasseh into the land of Gilead. So now they get the priest. And verse 14, they get ten rulers, one from each of the chief houses. So now they got representatives from the tribes. Now they got the priest. And now they got everybody. And now they got an army. This is what we do too. Instead of going right to the person that there's an issue with, I'm going to go to 50 other people first. And I'm going to get my posse around so we can get ready for the hanging. And that's what we do. Sometimes we just need to stop, pray, and not talk to anybody about it. Not even your spouse. You've heard me joke about this a lot. Spouses are a blessing, but sometimes spouses work off each other. Next thing you know, you're getting all worked up. Pray. Seek the Lord. Don't go get everybody involved. Matthew 18 makes it clear. Go to them alone first. Then if you have to, take a witness. And then you finally bring it to the church. And you don't want to bring it to the church because that's the last step. And that means things aren't working out. What do they do? They hear one thing. Get an army. Get everybody. And let's go fight. Verse 15. Then they come. Then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead. And they spoke with them, saying, So here's an army. Here's the leaders. Here's everything. Now, we're going to stop right there. 
Don't read verse 16, and some of you are already reading it, so that means you're wrong. Go to James 3 with me, please. James 3. Because right now, we still don't have to go to war yet. Nothing's been said. James 3. I encourage you for devotions tonight. James 3, 1 through 12 was what I referenced earlier about the power of the tongue. I just want you to ask yourself. We're going to read 13 through 18. And I just want you to ask yourself, how do you respond? Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Okay, so what does a wise and understanding person look like in verse 13? His works are done in meekness of wisdom. What's meekness? Meekness is power under control. The problem is nowadays when you think of the word meek, you think meek is weak. In the Bible, meek is not weak. Meek is strong. Meek is, I could destroy you, and I don't. That's why Jesus was meek. I could go into this conversation yelling, screaming, arguing, I'm going to go in meekness, and I'm going to go in wisdom. Verse 14, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. Check your heart at the door. Are you bitter? Are you angry? Are you self-seeking? Are you only trying to push your agenda? Don't, don't lie about it. Know that the flesh isn't ready for this conversation. Now it's not a good time. Now it's not a good time. I mean, just think about this for a second. What are you trying to do when you have an argument with somebody? Dawn and I have these quotes that we put on the bathroom window to remind bathroom window, bathroom mirror to remind us. And one of them is in the midst of an argument, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to win the argument or are you trying to represent Christ? Because the truth is, and, and, and I, I joke a lot about Dawn, but you know, I think I think she's the most amazing thing in the world. I really do. And I'm not saying this as a joke. Dawn is not a good arguer. She's not. Been married, we'll be married 22 years here coming up in just a week or two. And I can defeat her in an argument any time I want. And that's not because I'm smarter. It's not because I'm wiser. Because she's just not good at it. She's not good at raising her voice. She's not good at getting nasty. I'm good at doing those things. She's not. So I can win arguments with Dawn. So I win the argument and I walk out of the bedroom. And I've won the argument and I've lost the war. Because I didn't represent Jesus Christ to her. I didn't love her as Christ loved the church. Oh, sure, I got my point across. I crushed her. At what cost? It's not worth it. So you've got to check yourself in verse 14. Why do you really want to have this conversation? This, just, this is why you pray first. Is there some type of bitterness in you? Is there some type of envy in you? Is there self-seeking? Do you really just, I need to tell you this so that way I feel better? No, maybe you don't. Or what about the next one? Am I really just trying to boast? Am I lying? Because look at verse 15. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. So in the midst of that argument, you could actually be demonically inspired. Or it's earthly. You're not thinking about eternity. Another one of the quotes we put on the bathroom mirror. Basically, it says this. If we both have an eternal mindset, why are we arguing about earthly things? It doesn't matter. Or it's sensual, meaning sensual means it's of the flesh. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It feels good to argue. It feels good to win the argument. It's sensual. It's also demonic. And it's also earthly. Verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. And is that not the truth? 
in the midst of those arguments and fights, it's confusing, it's evil, it's awful. I remember hearing people say this. I remember seeing it in movies in the midst of the argument. You forget why you're fighting. I thought that could never happen. Then it happens. You're in the midst of this tension, and I have to remind myself, now what are we fighting about again? Because I've got to make sure I win this. It's confusion. It's evil. And it's not about eternity. I only have so much time and energy in the day, and if I spend that time and energy fighting the body of Christ, then what energy do I have left to see the gospel go forward? How am I really supposed to respond? Verse 17. The wisdom that is from above, heavenly, is pure. My motives are pure. It's not self-seeking. It's not about James. It's pure. It's peaceable. I'm not trying to fight. Gentle. Willing to yield. You may be right. I may be wrong. I may need to go listen to your point of view for a little bit because I'm so biased. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Without partiality. I'm not already going in with my mind made up. Verse 18, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And here's the one. Are you starting this conversation to sow seeds of peace and to make peace? Or do you want to have a fight? Remember, there's not chapter breaks and verses in the Bible. So it goes right into verse 1 of chapter 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your member? I just want to fight. I want to win. I want to be right. It's self-seeking. It's not peaceable. I'm not trying to represent Jesus. And so they show up now to these other three tribes. And they could have just said, hey guys, quick question. Heard someone say you built a really big altar. You know we only worship at Shiloh. That's where we worship. You know that. Just want to see what you guys are doing. We don't want to fly off the handle. Instead, look at verse 16. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. What treachery. Is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord and that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Now, them are fighting words right there. Treachery? Turn from God? Rebellion? I know when someone calls me up and they say, Hey, James, I want to talk to you. I can tell within about 30 seconds if they really want to talk or if they just really want to fight. And I tell you, verse 16, they don't want to talk. Treachery, rebellion. Look at those words right there. They're just ready to fight. Verse 17. Is the iniquity of pure not enough for us from which we are not cleansed till this day? Although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord. Verse 17. The iniquity of pure. That comes all the way back from Numbers 25. And what happened was that the men of Israel started being sexually involved with the women of Baal. And of Balaam. And so what happened is 24,000 men were judged that day and killed. So what he's saying in verse 17 is, this is what you guys do. Do you want to bring this sin back against us? Verse 18. But that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. And it shall be if you rebel today against the Lord that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. So now you're not only rebelling, you're rebelling against God. And if you rebel against God, look at the end of verse 18. He will be angry at the whole congregation of Israel. It's going to all fall to us as well too. See, it's really just quite selfish. They're not about the glory of God. They're not about you guys have an altar set up and you shouldn't do this. No, it comes down to this. You are treacherous. You are rebellious. You are against God. And you're going to kill us all with you. Words. No one yet has even asked yet, hey, what's going on? Let's just jump right into the fight, into the argument, 
and start name-dropping and attacking and saying, you're against God, and guess what? This is how it starts. So we'll stop here for a second, and then we'll go on to what happened here afterwards. Any quick questions, comments about anything here thus far, about our words, the power of words, Proverbs, James, or how we even got to this place? John. Right? And that's true. And like I said, there are different ways to take this. And I did read one commentator where he took it as, hey, these guys are standing for the holiness of God. And, and maybe that's true. But the problem is still, we go back to this. No one ever asked why they did what they did or anything. We'll get to that in a little bit, though. Yeah. You know how simple this would have been if just... Yeah, hey, can we meet across the river? Hey, we're building an altar. We're not trying to take over. Hey, cool, no problem. Thanks for letting us know. Okay, that's all we got to do. Instead, we have an army built in treachery and rebellion, and God's going to kill you, and God's going to kill us. That's where it's at right now. Anybody else have anything here before we go on? Yeah, Ryan. Um, how come Manasseh was divided into east and west and had like uh, two portions of the land? Manasseh was so big, it's one of the blessings that they were going to receive. If you go back to Genesis, when um, Israel, when Jacob had blessed the 12 tribes, Joseph got a double blessing. And so that's why Manasseh and Ephraim, Ephraim are so big. And so half of Manasseh decided to stay, and the other half went on the other side, because at this point they were the biggest tribe. In fact, if you start looking into prophecy, once you get into the major prophets, sometimes they refer to the northern tribes, because eventually the northern and the southern tribes split. They refer to the northern tribes sometimes as Manasseh and Ephraim, because they were such a dominant tribe so big that they had the numbers. It's just part of the blessing that they had for being one of the descendants of Joseph. Yes? Well, the altar would have been built, if I can find it on the map here, would have been around Shiloh. And I don't see Shiloh. That's where they kept the tabernacle for a while, and I'm not seeing it on the map right there. There's Jerusalem, but it wasn't at Jerusalem at the time. Gilead, Jericho, Ai. Yeah, I'm not seeing Shiloh. But Shiloh is where they kind of kept that in storage there for a while. This one was supposed to be on this side over here for these people. But if you read it in verse um, 10... Uh, when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben. So they built that. What they're doing is trying to build one over here because they were not supposed to be able to easily have access to Shiloh over there. So that's why they're going to do it. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but that's their excuse, is we can't get to the altar quickly, because the Jordan River, obviously, they didn't have bridges. They weren't able to cross like they wanted to. Which kind of goes back to, that's why we started out the introduction. They chose to live on that side. They chose to live away from the literal presence of God, and they're going to get themselves in trouble for this. And it goes back to the point we've made many times. When we choose to take ourselves away from the body of Christ, from where the Lord's at, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. We're going to get on the fringes, and that's where the enemy picks us off at. Yeah, Ryan. Uh, Shiloh means east, right? No, I don't think Shiloh means peace. I don't know. Somebody may know more than me. uh, Salem means peace, S-A-L-E-M. But yeah, I just thought if that was the case, they're going to war. Over peace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we, we sit here and we read about the Spanish Inquisition. We read about uh, Protestants and Catholics fighting. We read about Sunni and Shiites fighting and killing each other. <sighs> Hate to say it, this is not the first time that Israel is going to go to war against each other. It's very sad. Very sad. And, you know, we may not have weapons today in the body of Christ, but we go to war against each other with our words all the time. All right, so let's see what happens here. Verse 20, did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass and the accursed thing, and wrath fell on the congregation of Israel, and that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. He drops another name, Achan. Don't you remember, guys? Achan sinned, and when Achan sinned, it hurt us all. Verse 21, then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel. Now, here's their response. Now, we can't defend these guys. We can defend the fact that they were trying to maybe protect the holiness of God. But they went in without thinking. They spoke without thinking. They're getting ready to start a battle. What's their response? Verse 22. The Lord, God of gods, the Lord, God of gods, he knows. And let Israel itself know. If it is in rebellion or if it's in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. Verse 22 is the cop-out answer of all cop-out answers. God knows our heart. I hear that all the time. Somebody is doing something that does not line up biblically. And you go to them and you say, listen, man, this is not right. God knows. Okay, what does God know? That you're in sin? Because what you want to do is not right in the eyes of God. And we still do this today. God knows. I remember getting a chance to witness to a guy years ago. And just talking about salvation and Jesus and how to be saved. And, and he just said, you don't worry about me. The big guy upstairs and me have already got this worked out. It's like, he, you got a special deal going? I mean, like you got your own coupon? I don't know. And we do this. And this is sometimes our response, is when we're backed into a corner, don't worry, the Lord led me. And I'm going to tell you this. Unless you're doing something unbiblical, I mean, like, like hey, James, I'm going to go kill somebody, the Lord led me. No, he didn't. Okay, I can step in on that and tell you wrong. But if you're doing something and I say, I don't think that's good, and you say, the Lord led me, I back off. Because you are going to a pretty high power on that one. And you are accountable to say, God led me to do this, to say this. And that, I'm just telling you right now, that's a good go-to question. When you're talking to someone and you feel like they're not in line with God's will and their actions are going to cause a problem, don't be afraid to say to them very lovingly, so when you prayed about this, the Lord led you to do this? If they come back and say, well, no, and they hem all around, usually it's a great way to say, well, then why are you doing it if the Lord hasn't led you? These guys start out right away in verse 22 saying, the Lord led us. Verse 23, if we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if it's to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. Basically, God knows. You just back off. I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine spiritually. God knows my heart. We got it worked out. Those are all just dodging the real issue. Verse 24, but in fact, we have done it for fear. See, now they give the real reason. It's not the Lord led them. We built this out of fear. For a reason, saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? See, verse 24, that's a great cop-out, too. Well, the reason we're doing this is because we're scared that you guys are going to be a problem. See, it's passing the buck. See, rich you have, the first group on this side of the Jordan, they're just attacking without thinking. They're just going in and saying whatever they want to say, treachery, rebellion. These people on the right... Their battle plan, it's not our fault. God led us to do this. And if God didn't lead us to do this, your descendants are going to cause problems for us, so we just got to protect ourselves, and we have to be defensive because you guys are going to be a problem. Nobody's right. 
Verse 25, for the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us. You children of Reuben and children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Verse 25, be careful. The Lord has made the Jordan. See, now they're going to say, well, what's going to happen is, see, the Lord has used this as a... Wait, no, the Lord didn't cause this border between you. You chose it. Verse 26, therefore we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no pardon, Lord. We're just going to kind of do our own thing. You hear me say this a lot. It is a dangerous place to do your own thing. You're designed to be part of the body of Christ for accountability, for fellowship, for iron sharpening iron. We're not designed to be solo island Christians. And if you know a solo island Christian, they may look good, they may sound good, they may sound spiritual, but the truth is they're not where they're supposed to be. These people right here look good and sounded good. They got a big altar. Hey, they're dropping the Lord's name left and right. God let us, God let us. But they're wrong. Verse 28. Therefore we said that it will be when they say to this to us or to our generation in time to come that we may say, here is the replica. Some of your translations. Here is the copy. That's the danger area. We don't need to have the real thing. We'll just take a copy of the real thing. And that is still happening today thousands of years later. People don't want the real relationship. They'll take a kind of a fake little copy of it. And they're happy with that. They're happy with the little fake, half-hearted Christianity. Here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made through, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifices, but it's a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices, besides the altar of the Lord our God which is before his tabernacle. See, so, so basically their excuse is this. Hey, God led us to do this, and it's really kind of your guys' fault because you're probably going to later on not let us use your altar. And don't worry, our altar is just our altar. We're going to do our own thing with it, our little copy, and you know what? We're not rebelling at all, but we're okay. I know that happens all the time. I try to get a hold of somebody. It's like, hey, I'm concerned about you. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. You don't worry about me. I always wonder, what's your definition of fine? I hear that all the time. I'm doing good, Pastor. It's like, how can you be doing good? You don't see any good, and I'm not saying this judgmentally, but there's, there's no depth. You're not growing. You're not going deeper. What's your definition of good? That's what these guys are saying. Don't worry about us. We're good. But how? How can we be good with this fake little relationship with God? Verse 30. Now when Phineas the priest and the rulers of this congregation and the heads of the division of Israel who were with him heard the words the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Then Phineas, the son of Elziar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phineas, the son of Elziar, the priest, and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, from the land of Gilead, to the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle, destroyed the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for as a witness between us that the Lord is God. Now, it'd be really easy to stop and say, well, all's well that ends well, right? The problem is we have the rest of the Old Testament. 
And the rest of the Old Testament tells us these three tribes get themselves in trouble. The rest of the Old Testament tells us by them doing and getting on their side of the river and starting up their own little religion here, it causes problems. I think sometimes, as the body of Christ, we are way too quick to get into an argument. We've got to keep our mouths shut. Pray over it first. Make sure the Lord is leading to you. Next, make sure it's in God's word. Make sure you're backed up scripturally. And then go represent it in peace. So pray over it. Make sure it's God's word and represent it in peace. And I think we're too quick sometimes to jump into it. But the problem is, I take a look here at 31 through 34. Some point times we're too quick to not get into the argument. Sometimes we need to put our foot down a little bit and say, I want to speak the truth and love to you. And this is not good. It would have been great if Phineas would have stopped and said, Hey guys, I hear your heart. I think I understand what you're trying to say. But this is going to cause a problem. Because Jehovah asked us to worship as one. All 12 tribes. And you guys starting to do your own thing right here is going to cause a division and a split later on down the road. But instead it's like, oh good, we don't have to fight. Do you know anybody like that? They, they, just, they just kind of cover it up. They sweep everything under the rug. And what happens is the bump gets so big under the rug, next thing you're tripping over it all the time. Listen, don't jump into a fight quickly, but at the same time too, don't be afraid to stand for the truth. There's a biblical, scriptural balance. And remember, let's finish up with this. Go back with me to James 3. This will be our last passage here. James 3. When you're going to get into any conversation, make sure the Lord's leading. Remember, wisdom is knowing what to say, how to say, when to say it, and even if to say it at all. Make sure there's no self-seeking. Make sure there's no envy, no bitterness, no nothing. Make sure it's verse 17 of James 3. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Are you planting seeds of peace or do you want it to go to a battle? Boy, we want peace. And the last thing I'll say is I'm just going to remind you of that verse in Proverbs. It's uh, Proverbs. Let me find my reference here real quick. It's uh, Proverbs 26.20. And there's a one about putting one more log on the fire. I can't stress to you enough. If you're around somebody who likes to fight and to argue... You may want to limit yourself a little bit there. Because your conversations with them may be putting one more log on the fire. Best thing you may do is be able to say, listen, I love you enough to say, let's not talk about it. I tell you, one of the things I've learned over the years, when I start talking to someone and they just want to start attacking someone and bad-mouthing someone and they want me to agree and throw another log on the fire, a great conversation killer is, you know what, hey, let's just pray for that person right now. Because that's, that's the best way to stop it. Let's not put a log on the fire. Let's just pray for that person. And if they won't listen, I'll say, hey, you got your Bible with you? Let's go to Luke 6. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Pray for those who persecute you. Because if I would jump in and say, oh, you are right. You have been so wrong. That's just one more log. Let's keep the fire burning. No, let's just pray for the person. Problem is, what I've realized, if I say that, people think, oh, you're defending them. I'm not defending them. I'm making sure you don't go down a path of sin. Because that's what these other tribes did. Let's go to war. Now let's get the facts straight first. Then if we need to, we'll go to war. But that's not the first choice. Anybody have any final questions, comments about anything before I close up? Ryan.
it's almost the exact same thing. It was uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And Jeroboam basically said, hey, uh, they got the temple. They got the ark. We don't have anything, so we're going to set up our own religion. Because if our people go down to Jerusalem, they're going to want to join that nation. So, yeah, John. Not, not that I know of, but it's hard because we talk about them as individuals and really we're talking about tens of thousands of people. Yeah, right, right. Um, I believe it's in Numbers 32. I'm just going to take a quick real look here. Um, it just says, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, Elziar the priest, the leaders of the congregation, saying, um, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servant as a possession. It doesn't say anything about them praying. It says they're making the decision based on just seeing it. Which to me, whenever you see that phrase right there, that it says that, they saw the land was good. Um, that's the same thing that happened to Lot. Lot made his decision to go to Sodom and Gomorrah based on sight. And, and I, anytime I've ever seen that, I always think back to First John, where it talks about um, you know, the pride of life and the lust of the eyes. I see it, it looks good, it sounds good, so I'm just going to do it. And how many times do we do that as a Christian? We don't pray over a decision. It just looks good. It's so obvious. Yeah. 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 AI, we don't need to pray about it. Yeah. Kathy. No, no, and you know, and that's the thing is, like I said, my, my basic premise, the way I was going to teach this is, nobody's really right. There's a lot of wrong going on here. And you know, you could defend these tribes on the left by saying they wanted the holiness of God. I, that There's an element of truth to that. You could defend the tribes on the right saying, well, they kind of wanted to make sure they could worship. There's an element of truth to that, but both of them are wrong on how they're doing it. Surely. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good reference right there, Ephesians 6. Uh, you know, the battles that we have, it is just, it's the enemy. I mean, that's why it's so vital. And I, and I tell you, it is so vital. And I know it's after 8. Um, any of you that serve on a Sunday or a Wednesday, be it worship, teaching in the back, VBS, you know the enemy's going to hit you. You know he is. That's why we got to be prayed up and ready. You know that if you're going to go try to present the gospel to a neighbor, you know the enemy's going to try to def- uh, cause a problem. We've got to be prayed up against it. Yeah, surely. Spiritual warfare and ministry. But if I remember correctly, the Friday study, you're very sexist, and it's only women, right? Yeah, I thought so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. So, spiritual warfare and ministry for women only. So, it's like swim woe. You know, that's what it is. It's swim woe. All right, it's after eight. Let's pray here. Would you guys stand with me? Lord, um, I, I just keep going back to that last worship song. Here I am to worship. I just, I love that song. We're here to worship you, and... Um, we worshiped you in song. I hope we worship you in fellowship as we walk out of the church. I hope we worshiped you in your word. And as we're driving home, I hope we worship you in just enjoying your creation. 
And then let's just go home and worship you at home. Thank you for who you are, Lord. And Lord, help us. Help us to never respond in the flesh, but in the spirit and in peace and that we would be mature believers watching our words. And Lord, if we're around other people that aren't watching their words, help us not to put another log on the fire. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.